morning, church. Um, thank you guys this morning. I'm excited to bring you guys God's word. We'll go do the mic. This is a great opportunity um, to bring you guys God's word. We'll be in John chapter 10. If I can ask us to open us open our Bibles to John chapter 10. If I may request our reverence for God's word, if we could stand as we read God's word. John chapter 10, we'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 18. You don't have to read, I'll read it and then just follow alongside me. John chapter 10, from verse 1 to verse 18. And the word of God reads, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who, come, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have a life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf come in and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is hired hands and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Thank the Lord for his word. I'm going to say a word of prayer. And then we're getting to God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace this morning. Thank you, Lord God. As the word comes, Father, I pray for transformation of hearts. Father, I pray that you will speak to us this morning. I pray, Lord God, that lives will be transformed and people will be impacted by your word, Lord. Will you be here with us, Lord God? Transform hearts. Um, do miracles. Do things that only you can do through your power, Lord. I pray for your strength. I pray for boldness of speech, Lord God. And I pray that I will declare your word to your people with your strength. Father, be with us even now, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as we just read from um, John chapter 10, even though we read from verses 1 to 18, we'll be focusing in on verses 14 to 18. We'll be looking at Jesus' claim about himself. What does Jesus say about himself in these scriptures? Well, first of all, let me ask you guys a question. You don't have to actually answer it. But I'll ask anyways. How would you describe Jesus? 
Many people have a lot to say about Jesus, right? And one of the unique things about the scriptures, we see Jesus make claims about himself. But let's first start with, how do you describe Jesus? What do you say when you hear, and when somebody asks you, who is Jesus, what does he do? And throughout scripture, we see various claims about Jesus, right? We live in a culture where everyone has an opinion of who they think Jesus is. We see him called demons by the Pharisees. We see him described as a religious leader. Um, we see him described as a teacher in various places. Throughout history, um, we hear about how Jesus is like an activist, right? For how he sweeps people out of the temple. A man with great authority. He is even called the reincarnated Elijah and then compared to other prophets such as Prophet Jeremiah. Jesus even asked Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter responds and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Even the demons have something to say about Jesus. They even chime in on who they think Jesus is. We see the demons who beg Jesus, let us alone, and asking what he has come to do with them, saying, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even the demons have something to say about Jesus. Although some of these are accurate depictions, while some we see are outright wrong, we want to really look at what Jesus says about himself. How does Jesus describe himself? What are the claims that he makes about himself? If we look a few weeks ago, we had one of the interns, Jesse, walk us through John 9. And we see how Jesus heals a blind man. And he begins to address the religious leaders. And the, the religious leaders begin to ask questions and say things like, oh, this is a demon, right? But there's others who are there saying, no, 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 this can't be a demon. What type of demon has authority or speaks with this kind of authority? And what demon do you know that's able to open the eyes of the blind? We also see these same people throwing accusations at Jesus, and they position themselves as Israel's shepherd. Religious leaders of Israel consider themselves to be um, the shepherds of Israel in a, um, the, sh the shepherds of Israel in a spiritual sense. However, we see a description from Jesus of what it looks like to be a true shepherd. And he di differentiates himself from these leaders who we see in John 9 and, jo and John 10 who claim that they are the leaders, but Jesus has a different take on it. Again, let's look closely at verses 14 to 18 specifically. And that's what we're going to be focusing on. And we really want to see how Jesus and the claims that he is making about himself. I'm going to read it again. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have others, other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. As we focus in on these scriptures, what I want us to see is the claims that Jesus makes about himself. And there are three claims that I see in this scripture that I want us to focus on. We see Jesus as God, we see Jesus as this good shepherd, and we see Jesus as the saviour. We see Jesus as God, we see Jesus as the good shepherd, and we see Jesus as the saviour. First claim Jesus makes about himself. Jesus claims to be God. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus is the I am, right? 
This is Jesus' fourth I am statement in the book of John. And if we remember back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and demand that the Hebrew people be allowed to leave their slavery in, in Egypt. God explained to Moses that his name should be called I am who I am, which means I exist, I be. And we see, as I mentioned, in John's gospel, seven or six other accounts that we see of Jesus claiming to be the I am. John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10, which is also in this chapter, Jesus says, I am the gate of the sheepfold. And what we'll be focusing on today, Jesus, I am the good shepherd, he says. John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And John chapter 15, I am the true vine. Jesus affirms his deity by attributing characteristics that are only due to God to himself. No one else dare make these claims about themselves. These type of claims we see from none of the other prophets throughout the scriptures. None of the other prophets dare say, oh, I am the bread of life, right? None of the other prophets say, I am the light of the world. We don't ever hear um, Moses say, I'm the gate of the sheepfold, or ever hear Elijah say, I'm the good shepherd. We don't hear anyone dare say, I'm the resurrection and the life. Or anyone dare say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, no one dare say they are the true vine. These are characteristics that only Jesus can make claim of. Jesus is the I am. And he proves this. He goes further and begins to talk about himself as being one with God, being one with the Father. Many of our friends from other religions ask, where in the Bible does Jesus say he is God? They say, show me a scripture. Show me a verse where Jesus says, I am God. Well, my response to that would be, he does. He said it so many times, plainly. They ask, where does he plainly say it? He's plainly saying it throughout scripture. So sometimes we can say, yes, he says it implicitly in certain areas, but is this not as plain as it can get? What type of claims can someone make of this extent that is not them saying they are God, plainly? Jesus' claim were clear to the Jews. And that's what's distinct, right? That they pick up stones to stone Jesus. Why did they pick up stones? It wasn't because of a good work. The scripture said that. See, people are fine with Christians doing work. What is the thing that offends them? Well, because they knew Jesus, and they knew Jesus to be a man, and how their Jesus, who is a man, claimed to be God. Jesus describes himself as the son of God, and they understood that Jesus, to claim to be the son of God, is him seeing he is equal with God. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Now, even in their ignorance, right, and their hardened hearts, one thing we see is that even the Pharisees understood that what Jesus was saying plainly is he was making a claim to be God. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And I believe this to be more than just a oneness in purpose. Yes, Jesus and the Father, they have one purpose, right? They have um, one mission. Theologically, they're in agreement, But we see a oneness, a oneness of nature, a oneness of essence, a oneness of being. Just as the father knew Jesus, Jesus knew the father. And the charge Jesus had to lay down his life and raise it up again was the one that he received from his father. Jesus is always being heard by the father. And there is a perfect union that the father has with the son. And this is explicit reference to Jesus being deity, Jesus being God. 
What does it mean, friends? What does it mean for Jesus to make these claims to be God? First of all, I think one thing we can see, if Jesus is truly God, he is one to be feared. He's one that we should take, he's one that we should, um, he, we should be spoken, Jesus should be spoken about with fear and reverence, with an awe, understanding that he is the one who created the heavens and the earth. And that's what we see with the disciples. When they're in the storm and we see Jesus is able to silence the storm and he has control over the weather, there is a power that Jesus has that no one else does. And we see Jesus in his deity, Jesus in his power, in his authority that he had in eternity. And we look back to Genesis 1 and we can see the same God who created the heavens and the earth is the same God that comes to dwell in man in this context. Jesus said clearly that unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I am he. You have to believe and take Jesus at his word. And we have to see that if anyone, if we ever see Jesus as anything less than God, friends, that's something, that's a sin that we need to repent of. To see Jesus as anything less than who he claims to be is no light thing. If Jesus is God, it means that any idea of God that does not encompass Jesus in it is a false God. Anyone who claims to honor Jesus but denies the words that Jesus speaks about himself is lying. Jesus is making clear that he is God. So that's one thing we see. Jesus says that he is, I am. He is, I am the good shepherd. So he's claiming the deity. He's claiming to be God. So the second thing we see from this, um, from this verse 14, we see that Jesus is the good shepherd. So verse 14 again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus is not like the shepherds that the Bible vehemently speak about. We see how he distinguishes himself from those we see throughout scripture. And God does not speak lightly about these things. He comes down pretty hard on those leaders who call themselves shepherd, but acts like otherwise. Looking back to Ezekiel um, chapter 34, we see examples of bad shepherds who do not only fail by neglecting the sheep, but benefit at the cost of the flock. The shepherds use their position for their own gain rather than the good of the people. It doesn't take very, very much for them to, um, to run away, right? They see the wolf coming towards the sheep. What do they do? They leave the sheep and they flee. And what happens? The wolf comes and snatches the sheep. Comes and causes scatter among the sheep. The shepherds feed themselves. Isn't the whole point of a shepherd to feed the sheep? Why are these leaders running away from the sheep? These are bad shepherds who see the weak sheep and do not strengthen them. These are bad shepherds who see the sick sheep and do not heal them. These are bad shepherds who see the injured and have not bound them up. These are bad shepherds who, um, who see the strayed sheep and do not bring them back. These are bad shepherds who see the lost and do not seek them out. And as we have seen, a result of that is we see scattered sheep. But... We see a distinction. Now, again, in John chapter 10, we are seeing Jesus bring back some of the concepts we saw in Ezekiel 34. We see many of these things, these resemblances between those bad leaders and what we see in John 10, right? Jesus describes them as thieves and robbers. They do not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climb in by another way. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. What else does Jesus say about these, these bad leaders? Jesus describes them as strangers, those who the sheep will not follow or listen to. We see that they are counterfeits. And finally, Jesus describes them as hired hands. They see the wolf come in and leave the sheep and flee. 
And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. They care nothing for the sheep. And some of us here have let our our fences down in the past and may have trusted in shepherds who have let us down. We still bear the scars of how we were misguided by the very people who we entrusted our lives to. A lot of us know of so-called shepherds who said one thing and then later down the road, we saw that they were actually not who they claimed to be. We see that their actions were con- was contrary to the confession which they gave. We know of so-called shepherds who are not interested in our well-being, but more concerned about our pockets. It, even, it, it can even cloud our thinking of what it means to be a good shepherd. But Jesus exemplifies and distinguishes himself and how he is the good shepherd and the true good shepherd, right? What do we see about Jesus that distinguishes himself from what we see from these bad leaders? We see Jesus to protect the flock. We see Jesus who guides the flock. We see Jesus who knows the flock. Jesus, as the good shepherd, he protects the flock. Jesus, as the good shepherd, he guides the flock. Jesus, as the good shepherd, he knows the flock. How does Jesus protect the flock? Well, one thing we see about sheep is that they are utterly defenseless and totally dependent upon the shepherd. There is a beauty sometimes in weakness and vulnerability and threat, right? Because I think it's in those moments that we can really rely and look to a shepherd. Um, we, um, We see Jesus protecting his sheep by laying his life down for them. We are being protected by Jesus from, for example, false doctrine, lies of the enemy, attacks on our faith, Jesus is even protecting us from ourselves. Furthermore, we see throughout scripture that we are not just protected from the world, the flesh, and the devil, but we are protected from the wrath of God, which is poured out on all those who are considered to be God's enemies. How often do we think about that? That God is actually protecting us, in a sense, from God, from God's eternal judgment, from from the accusations which would rightfully owe to us because of our sins. Jesus brings us in, and he then becomes our protector. Jesus saw us while we were still yet sinners and died for us, and he protects us from eternal judgment. And we see a great example of how Jesus protects his people in Peter. What does he say to Peter? Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. The same Jesus that prophesied of how Peter was going to deny him is the same Jesus that restores Peter in the end. We see that the Jesus protects every single one that belongs to him. And I believe he doesn't lose any of them. He keeps them until the end. Jesus makes it clear he is bringing other sheep that are not of this fold, right? He says that. He said, I am bringing others, right? And that's you and me. We weren't there at the time. We weren't there at the time of Peter. But right now, we are still, we are, people are still being brought into the kingdom of God, and God is still bringing people into this sheepfold. So the same way that Jesus was interceding for Peter is the same way that Jesus is interceding for us. So we see that Jesus protects his flock. Jesus guides his flock as well. A common phrase that we hear used when we, um, when we have rebellious children and we see somebody who's going the wrong way, what do we often say? I blame the parents. 
Without knowing the ins and outs of somebody, we can already attribute the results of their lives to the ones who were supposed to be guiding them. Maybe the outcome of some of their decisions or some of our decision is a result of using a map that led to a dead end. Maybe we are reaping the fruit of trusting in the wrong instructions. I don't know about you, but for me, when I came to the Lord, I was shocked to look back and see how much bad instruction that I had followed before I'd come to the Lord. All the ways that I thought I was following the right way and then came to realize it didn't really amount to anything. If anything, it was leading me, well, it was leading me to the wrong path and it was meaningless in the end. I would ask questions to people and um, some of the guidance that I would receive, I mean, the answer simply yielded no fruit. I trusted in people who had no idea where they were going, let alone how they would be able to guide me. But knowing Jesus, I know I have a shepherd who is leading me in paths of everlasting life, everlasting good. He is leading his people, right? That's what Jesus does. As a shepherd, he is guiding, he is leading. The direction is no longer a direction of destruction, which we were subject to before we came to the Lord. But now that we are in the Lord, we are led in the direction of life and everything that Jesus commands is for good in the end. And we know this. We can trust this. So if you're here and you're wondering, should I make the Lord my shepherd? We read in Psalm 23 just a few moments ago. Well, the psalmist himself makes clear why. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? Well, he makes me lie down in green pastures, but... As well, he leads me beside still waters. God is guiding us. He leads me in paths of righteousness. God is guiding us. Therefore, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? Because God is leading. Why? Because God is guiding. Because God is shepherding. Because God is directing us away from folly and into wisdom. Away from destruction and into life. Away from panic and into peace. Away from confusion and into clarity. Away from sin and into righteousness. Away from self-centeredness and into selflessness. Away from selfishness and into generosity. Away from fear and into love. Will you trust in the Lord as your guide today? Will you remove all other guides, whether it be social media, whether it be influencers, whether it be um, friends, whether it be yourself and your intuition? And will you trust in the one who is the genuine guide, the genuine shepherd? Jesus claims to be our guide. He guides his flock. So we see that Jesus protects his flock. We see that Jesus guides his flock. And finally, one thing I want us to see is that Jesus knows his flock. So Jesus protects his flock, Jesus guides his flock, and Jesus knows his flock. Verse 14 again. Jesus identifies with his own, and his own identify with him. From reading the text, we can see Jesus is who he claimed to be, a shepherd who knows the sheep. We can go away knowing that belonging, that we belong to the one who is looking after us, and he doesn't, he doesn't just know us from afar, but he, has, he is intimate with us. We know him personally. We are no longer far from God how we used to be, right? We have now been made close with God. We are now personal with God. And this is what we are seeing, how God identifies, Jesus identifies with his own. We see the love of God, not just in a general or a world or a um, 
cosmic sense, but we see it in an individual, in a one-to-one basis with us, in our relationship with God. The shepherd tends to the sheep one by one. We see the one-to-one relationship with Jesus and his sheep and his people. If you are his sheep today, if you are in this room and you are a follower of Christ, you have now been made close with Christ. You have been made close with God. If you are a sheep, you have the assurance that Jesus knows you. God is now your father. We do not go back and forth between being known by God and one day and then not being known by God. One minute, oh, we are close with God and then we're far with God. But this is a position that we have eternally, right? One thing that I've understood is that God is either your father or he isn't. You either belong to God or you don't belong to him. And we see this distinction. And often, one of the scariest passages we see in Matthew 7 is that all these people come to Jesus and they say all the things that they have done for him. What does Jesus say? I never knew you. It wasn't something, it wasn't a knowing in a sense that he one day knew them and had relationship with them and then he drew himself back. No, no, no. There was never that relationship. They never belonged to Jesus in the first place. And we can have this assurance that we do not go back and forth between knowing God. Thank God that I don't have to wake up in the morning and based on my feelings and that emotion in that moment, based on how I feel towards God and the way that I'm thinking, thank God that based on that, that does not determine my closeness with God. That does not determine my relationship with God. Why? Because I can hold on to his promise. He says he knows his flock. He knows his people. He identifies with them and they identify with him. And in the same way that we see Jesus identify with his people, we can always also hold on to God's promise that we as his people identify with him. We see the assertive language of Jesus. I love how Jesus speaks and he is so firm in what he is saying. He says they will listen to my voice. Jesus does not leave the option for, flock in, um, for those in his flock to turn away. He must bring them. The good shepherd gathers all the sheep and creates one flock where there is unity and order. There will be one flock and one shepherd. Because he knows us, we are therefore known by him. We recognize his voice. Yes, there is a knowing that first comes from the shepherd. We can acknowledge that God loves us because we first love God. But we also know that we know God and we now love God. So much so that we do not listen to the voice of strangers. We no longer listen to those who are false. The Lord says that they will not go to another voice. They will not listen or follow another voice. But they will now follow his voice. No longer will they be subject to strangers we see. The voice of strangers they will not listen to. But they will reject the voice of the stranger. Jesus calls and we respond. Because we have heard the voice of the one who has authority. How do we respond to this? Well, we can be assured that God is the one keeping us. And we are here today knowing that God is the one who keeps us. The same God that saved us on that day when we came to the Lord is the same God that promises to complete the work that he is doing. We see Jesus to be the good shepherd. And the final claim which I want to speak about, about what Jesus says, is Jesus claimed to be the Savior. 
Look with me at verses 15 and 17. Verses 15. Verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Two verses down. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus is a savior who not only lays his life down, but also raises it up again. I love this scripture because Jesus begins to talk about how he is the one who lays down his life and he is the one who raises it up again. Obviously in scripture we see that he was crucified and people did take him to the cross and people did kill Jesus. See, they are not removed. They are not removed from the guilt which they have. Yes, they did these things. But Jesus is also saying that he's the one who lays his life down. He's the one who takes it up again. The evidence that Jesus is a savior is that he conquered death and its, and, and its power through victoriously raising himself and then doing the same with us. And we see Jesus' purpose in laying down his life. We see that the purpose of this was that in him rising, we can also rise alongside him. That's why we call him Savior. Yes, the Lord was able to take his life up again. And yes, he will take your life up as well. That's his promise. He will take our lives up as well. Death no longer has dominion or power over us. Why? Because Jesus died. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus saves all those who belong to him from death. Jesus claims to be a savior. The question then, which can stir in people's mind, then... Well, who raised Jesus from the dead? Right? We can begin to ask the question, okay, Jesus here is clearly saying that he rose himself up from, he rose himself up from the dead. But we also see scripture about the Father raising Jesus from the dead. In the same way we see scripture about um, the Spirit of God raising Jesus from the dead. So was it the Father, or was it the Son, or was it the Holy Spirit? Who rose Jesus from the dead? The scripture clearly illustrates illustrates that Jesus' resurrection is the work of the triune God. The Father raised Jesus from the dead. We see this clearly. Acts 2.24, God will not abandon Jesus' soul to Hades or let his Holy One see corruption. We see in Ephesians 1 that God raised Jesus from the dead and gave him authority, right? He gave him a position that was far above all rule, all authority, all power and dominion. And the position that the the Father God gave to Jesus was a position that exceeds all other positions. We see that the Father raised Jesus from the dead. We see that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised, Je who he raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And 1 Peter um, chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit raise Jesus from the dead. Romans 1 and verse 4 as well. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So without doubt, we see the Father raise Jesus from the dead, and we see the Spirit of God also raise Jesus from the dead. And as we've already established in this scripture specifically, that Jesus says he rose himself up from the dead. And we see it countless of times. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus declared himself to be the resurrection and the life. 
And then a specific instance in John 2, the Jews said to Jesus, you have come in here and you have done all these, in non-verbatim terms, you have come in here and um, done all these things, right? You've um, destroyed the temple and you are destroying what our traditions were doing. What authority do you have to do this? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus has power to raise himself up from the dead. And one thing that we see is that is interested, he, one, when, he was, um, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. If Jesus truly raised himself from the dead, we know that God is a promise keeper. That what Jesus had declared about himself will come to pass. We can take that to the bank. We can have confidence today that what Jesus declares about himself is true. He will keep his promises. He did in the past and he will in the future. We see a consistency, a consistency in what Jesus has to say about himself. So we can see that the same Jesus who saved us from our sins, who saved us from eternal damnation and saved us from sin, he is the one that is keeping us. He is the one that is saving us, right? He is saving us and conforming us into Christ's image. He is changing our lives to a place where we conform our desires. We are constantly being transformed in our minds and in our hearts and becoming more Christ-like. That's what we see in the scriptures. And also he will finally save us once and for all from the corruption from all things in this world that do not align themselves to God. And we will be ultimately saved. So we were saved from our sins. We are being saved unto righteousness every day and becoming more like Jesus. And one day we will be ultimately saved from this broken world. Friends, as we have seen, Jesus is who he claims to be. He did die, he did rise, and he does save. His word is true and he saves to the uttermost. For those of us who don't know Jesus as Savior and therefore do not know Jesus as their, their good shepherd or as their Lord, one thing I want to say to you and one thing I want to leave with you as well, if Jesus is truly the Savior that he claims to be, that, need, that means you need saving, right? If Jesus is a Savior, there is a people who need saving. Where was I? What do we need saving from? Well, the scripture makes clear. We need saving from hell, ultimately. Eternal destruction. Eternal separation from God. And I want to be clear that the scripture, even though we see God help us in our problems, and God may be helping us in those, in those life decisions, and he may be saving some people from a bad relationship, or from a debt crisis, or an insecurity, or an emotional distress. But there is a greater saving that needs to happen. There is a greater saving that Jesus does, and that is ultimately from ourselves, from our sin, from what is destroying us. We are saved so that we can now inherit the kingdom of God so that we can be saved into everlasting life and have the abundant life which Jesus speaks about. You are saved for the kingdom of God so that you do not perish. So if anyone is asking, why do I need to be saved? I think one thing we need to reflect on is the fact that we were separated from God and because of that deserve judgment and God is inviting us, inviting us to his eternal kingdom. And that can give us peace. We can know 
that ultimately, even though we might not see it now, that there is a day that because of our sins, we deserve to be separated from God. But God in his grace has saved us. If we could turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, from verse 9 to 11. And I think this is a good illustration of how Jesus saves us and what he's saving us from. And I'm going to read those three verses. Or do you not know that the un... Give everyone a second to get this. Yeah. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Who are the unrighteous? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Friends, if you are identifying with one of these sins, what Jesus is saying, what the word of God is saying, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is enough to keep you out of the kingdom of God. But, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. So even though we can identify with these sins or we were once in these sins, Jesus is saying, the word of God is saying that we have been washed. For those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, those who have turned from the sin and now belong to Jesus, they have been washed. They have been sanctified. They have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. This is evidence that Jesus is a savior. He washes. He sanctifies. He justifies. Jesus saves the sheep. And if you do not know Christ today, Jesus is inviting you into the sheepfold. He's saying you can come. Come and be made new. Come that you may be washed. Come that you may be sanctified. Come that you may be justified. If you have not done so already, will you trust in Jesus today? Will you yield yourself to the claims that Jesus makes about himself? We see Jesus make claim one after the other. We see Jesus claiming to be God. We see Jesus claiming to be the good shepherd. And we see Jesus claiming to be the savior. So at, at the point in which you come to Christ, you will be washed and you will be sanctified and you will be justified. If you have not yet done so, will you trust in Jesus today? Will you reject all self-reliance and humble yourself at the mercy seat of Jesus Christ? Come to Jesus so that you can be washed and be sanctified and be justified. And what I want to finish off by saying is that we want to take Jesus at his word. As we have spoken about the claims that other people have made about Jesus Christ and the claims that sometimes we make about Jesus Christ, one of the beauties in this scripture is we see Jesus' claims about himself. And we want to receive it. And we want to receive Jesus at his word and who he claims to be. How he claims to be the one true God. How he claims to be the good shepherd. And how he claims to be the savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your word has gone out, Lord God. Thank you that you are who you claim to be, Jesus. That you are God. 
that you are the good shepherd and that you are the saviour. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word will land in the hearts of the people here today, Lord God. You will give us truth to meditate on. You will give us a reason to rejoice that we are now found in the sheepfold of God. Father, will you help us to reflect on these truths, Lord God? Will you not allow the enemy to steal the words of you, to steal your word from our heart? May it, may it dwell in our hearts, Lord God, and bring transformation in our lives. Thank you, Lord God, for your presence here with us, Lord God. And we pray that you will continue to help us and build us up in the faith. And for those who do not know you, Father God, I pray that this will be the time that they will come to you and see you as God and see you as good shepherd and see you as a savior, Lord. So, Father God, we pray in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.